Welcome to Crosspoint. 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 An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor. Today's Christians must make a difference in society. Welcome to Crosspoint. This is Mark Taylor. My guest, Lynn Wagaman, says we can. Lynn's a teacher, she's an author, and she's taught school at all levels. She's been an adjunct instructor in a graduate school of the Citadel Military Academy and owns Wagaman Educational Services. Well, Lynn Wagaman, thank you for joining us today here on Crosspoint. And, uh, well, you made a statement with the book, Standing for God in America, How Christians Can Make a Difference in Today's Society. And um, to me, we better be making a difference in today's society. You just start off right in the first of the book. You say that you love God and you love America and you love people. And there's no doubt you say that our country is facing multiple changes. And then on the next paragraph down there, you say, I believe many Christians are frustrated, confused, and even angry with what's happening in the United States. Uh, Lynn, you just said a mouthful right there getting things started. <laughs> I did. Yes, I did. Um, it is and it's true. We are facing so many challenges right now. And uh, I was sitting watching the news with my husband one night and said, you know, if people just did what the Bible said to do, what God's Word says, so many of the things that we face could be resolved and or would never have even arisen. And... As the, most people don't know what God's Word says. They they think they know. They have heard people talk about it, but they just don't have a really strong faith and, and, and understanding of what the Bible says. And he looked at me and he says, tell them. Uh, well, okay, that sounds like a, a book. Uh, and so that was kind of the starting point for this and, and, and just desire to help people really know what does God's Word say and how to apply it to what is going on in today's world. Now, Lynn, you mentioned, you know, about people not knowing what God's Word. Is this because it's not being taught in the churches like it used to be, at the extent it used to be, or is it because people aren't reading the Bible like they ought to? Uh, Is it because people don't have any interest in God? Why is it that they don't understand these things? As a former teacher, all of the above, I do believe that there is a growing kind of apathy towards what the Bible says. I think because we're not teaching it so uh, explicitly in our churches, we kind of reference it, but really getting in and teaching what does the Word say about specific topics. Um, I think in, in a lot of times our, our sermons, our, our presentation of, of Scripture is, is generalized, and and so we get kind of basic concept, basic ideas but we just don't have that absolute truth and, and really believe that it is relevant today. It's as relevant today as it was in the year that it was written, and and it will not change. God's Word does not change, and it will always be relevant. And when people really realize that and realize the power that it has um, to guide and to instruct and to uh, correct, um, then I think we will see people really turning towards the Bible again when they realize the value of it. But because our churches um, are not necessarily teaching how important it is that we really know it and that it is being undermined in so many places um, and by so many people who have a different agenda, that um, if we're not careful to stand up, our message is going to get lost. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Now, so are you saying that the church today is somewhat morally confused or they're in that area where 
not I'm not talking about all the churches, but there are some churches out there that uh, you know morally confused. I, I've seen that in the in the notes here on the book, and I thought I never thought of it that way, but I guess it could be that way, couldn't it? You know, as churches and and as as religious leaders, I've worked as the minister of music and church, and, and we want so much to be accepted for people to like us and for people to listen to us. And so I think we tend to um, maybe not be as strong in our presentation as we could be because we don't want to come across as offensive. It's not that we don't want to share the gospel. It's not that we don't want to share truth and speak for truth, but we are so concerned that we have how we're being perceived by others that we tend to maybe not be as, as, um, as convicted as we um, should be. And, you know, Jesus, when he spoke to people, um, he spoke kindly. He spoke with compassion and understanding and acceptance of who they are and where they are, where they were. But he also, to the religious leaders, was very strong in his um, admonition that they are, were not living up to what God's Word said and that they were not leading the people correctly. And, and so we can have both. We can be compassionate and, and understanding and accepting towards people but yet still be very firm in how we um, share our beliefs. And, and um, those two things are not uh, mutually exclusive. They can happen at the same time. And I think the church needs to understand that, that um, we can share the message and the gospel kindly and, and you know, be recognized as being compassionate people, but we also must be very firm. Yeah. Now, you say in Part 1, Chapter 1 of the book, mentioning godly America's godly history. You said God's been an integral part of America's history since the beginning. Well, many are trying to deny that today. I mean, you've got not just them not teaching it, but trying to even deny it. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And we see that, and, and another reason that I you put so much information in the book, and it's not a lot, but it, it's enough to whet people's appetite to say, you know, I do remember that I learned about this when I was younger, that God was involved in, in the founding of our of our nation and that our founding fathers were um, very deeply spiritual people. Um, and yet people are trying to undermine that. And you have to wonder, why is that? What is their agenda? And the agenda is to get us to question our faith and to question our heritage and, and, and our history as a country. Uh, because when we do that, then we're then we're able to accept other thoughts and ideas, and so we need to be to get back to that to foundation. Fortunately, our founding fathers wrote a lot, and so there is a lot of documentation, a lot of history available to us if we will just go back and and research it and read it and not accept what other people say. And so I do put lots of information, lots of examples in the book about um, how you can see the history of our of our country's. Um, religious heritage uh, in so many parts of our of our country the from the architecture to the hymns the, the music that we sang our education system when it was founded was very um, religious based um, and we just can't let people change that history we have to be willing to speak up and say no you're either leaving something out or you are you're changing it you're trying to manipulate the information to make us believe that America was not a Christian nation when it was founded but it very much was. 
And I know you mentioned in the book about things that are on the Capitol building, the Washington Monument, Lincoln Memorial, Supreme Court building. Uh, and you'd say, you know, as we look back at the country's history, it becomes clear that America was founded on a strong faith in God and desire to follow his ways. And any attempt to deny this requires ignoring or rewriting much of the past. Now, I believe mm-hmm. that's what a lot of them, the reason for some of this is they want to rewrite who America is. But you mentioned here at the bottom there, you say, to remain a God-fearing nation and fervently pray that he will bless us and keep us as a strong nation under God. That word there, for us to even remain a God-fearing nation, the word fervently pray tells me that we need to be having a lot more uh, publicly praying and a lot more personal praying for this nation as a whole uh, than we're having right now. I mean, we really do need that right now. We absolutely do. And, you know, God's relationship with us is a covenant relationship. He He says, if you do this, then I will do this. And so we, you know, if my people will call upon my name, then I will heal their land. If you follow me, then I can bless you. And so he tells us very, very obviously in his word, if you will pray, and obey my word, and follow my leading, and follow my voice, then I can bless you. Then I can um, heal you. Then I can um, reward you with abundance. And and so, but it starts with us. He puts the responsibility on us first to do our part. That then opens the blessing that he has for us. And I think when we realize that, that, you know, God doesn't need us to do anything in this world but he allows us to be a part of it. And part of that allowing us to be a part of what his plan is, is for us to be praying, for us to be laying in front of him all of the things that are going on in our country and saying, Lord, give us wisdom, give us direction, and let us be um, light and truth in our world. And then he will in turn bless that. Now, you do believe that it's vital for Christians to be informed about the issues of the day. Is that right? Absolutely. There's no way you can speak out if you're not aware of what is going on. Uh, we can't put our head in the sand and say, well, I'm just going to keep doing my Christian things and let the world handle all the other. Um, that is not what God calls us, I believe, as Christians to do. We are called to be salt and light, and we have to be knowledgeable in what's going happening in the world so that we can um, address it, so that we can take the arguments that they're presenting and explain how that's not right, how that goes contrary to what God's Word says, um, and then to recognize those people who are speaking out in, uh, for God and, and supporting them and encouraging them. I know our, our leaders need encouragement. They need support. They need to know that we agree with them when they are doing the right thing and they're speaking up for truth. And so um, we do have to know what's going on so that we can be um involved and and make it and and speak up when we see things that are not right yeah page 69 of the book you say americans today are living in a society that values having the newest and the best of everything just look at the popularity of the newest iphone or computer upgrade in its mild form the mindsets of always uh, wanting more can create things of discontentment and anxiety and you talk about taking up extremes how they disrupt everyday life And then you quote a Chinese philosopher there that says, there is no calamity greater than lavish desires, there's no greater guilt than discontentment, and there's no greater disaster than greed. And I hate to say it, but that's what we're seeing a lot of in our nation. 
It, it is, and and a lot of that kind of um, goes also to the this idea of I have a right to, um, and and we see this um, playing out so much in 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 so many issues, whether it's welfare, whether it's um, the immigration, wh- whatever it is. This this idea that well, it's my right, I deserve this, and that is so contrary to what God's word says. Um, we we are guaranteed nothing. We are entitled to nothing. Everything is a blessing from God and, and should be um, treated as such. And when we recognize that and we uh, honor him as the provider of all those things, then we live in a, in a better state of, of not greed, but of contentment and generosity. And I think so much of what we are experiencing now, if we just, if, even if Christians just had a more generous um, attitude towards those in need, um, we wouldn't have the um, the issues that we have right now with poverty, and a lot of that could just be resolved with a generous spirit and uh, and recognition that everything that we have comes from Him. Yeah. Now, do you, does it look like to you there's just a growing apathy toward the Bible and anything that has to do with our present circumstances that people are really trying to throw the Bible out of anything, having any real real difference in society. I believe that they, they don't know what to do with it. Okay. Um, maybe they believe in God. They they know that there's a right and wrong way to do this, but they just don't really get that the truths are found in the Bible, that every issue that we face right now has an answer in God's Word, whether it's a, probably not a specific answer to a specific issue, but the foundational principles that we have to use to make all of our decisions in life have their meaning, have their foundation in the Bible. And if we were to realize and really look to the Bible as our um, owner's manual, so to speak, um, then we would be be willing maybe to go back to it and say, okay, I'm not sure what to do with this. What does God's Word say? And let that be our first avenue of information and wisdom and guidance rather than our last resort so that we're not trying to solve it on our own and then say, oh, that didn't work. Now, what does God say about it? But turn that around and say, let's do this from God's perspective. What does he have to say on marriage and family? How does he think the family should work? How does he think wealth and resources should work? What are his ideas about morality and and leadership? And, and, and so when you have a really strong foundation of what does God's word say about it, what does he think about it, then you're better able to make wise decisions and and speak uh, from a from a confidence that says this is what God's word says. But I think we just really um, sometimes people just get overwhelmed with all that's going on, and they think there's no way I can make a difference. There's just too much happening, and that may be true. But God is in control, and He will use us to make a difference if we'll be willing to let Him um, do that. But we must be prepared and and ready to answer whatever situation we face. All right, folks. Well, stay with us. We're going to be back with more here on Crosspoint right after this. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. Well, today we're talking about standing for God in America. And you're listening to Crosspoint. 
My guest today is Lynn Waterman. And Lynn, your husband said you need to write a book or something, you know, or you need to tell people. So you've wrote the book. How do people find out more about this book? It, you could go to my website, uh, lynnwagaman.com. Uh, my last name is W-O-G-A-M-O-N, lynnwagaman.com. Um, and we have the book there. It's also um, from Amazon and uh, Barnes and & Noble and probably will be on some other outlets. So it's going to be out there. You can certainly um, get it from anyone. And Karis Publishing, you can also get it from them. So it is getting out there. Now, on the back of the book, it says it tells you know a little bit about you. But I like that last last line here. It says, you like serving in your church, and it says, and is optimistic that God has greater plans for America's future. That could be debated a lot, a lot right now. <laughs> a lot of people's got a lot of things going through their heads about what they're seeing and what's coming. But tell us about your look at this, being optimistic about God having greater plans for America's future. I can't help but be optimistic when I know that excuse me, that God has great things in store for his people. Now let's don't let's kind of put that aside from their country for a minute and let's just look at God wants to bless his people wherever they are, whether they're in America, whether they're in Canada, whether they're in Mexico, whether they're in Brazil, wherever they are, he wants to bless his people. He loves the people that he created. He loves even the people that aren't his people yet, who haven't you know, followed his son as their savior. He loves them as well. And he has great plans for us. Now, if we say that he has great plans for us, what's causing him not to be able to bless us? It's us. It's our response to him. And we saw this time and time again with the Israelite people, and they would turn away from him, and they would get involved in all kinds of things that were not honoring to him. And he was not able to bless them. He, they went into captivity. They had all these terrible things happen. But time and time again, he would continue just to pour out his love and say, if you will turn back to me, I will bless you. And I think that's kind of where we are right now. We've kind of turned away from him, and he's just looking at us going, please, please, turn back to me so I can bless you again. If we apply that to our country, we may not be a Christian nation, as you know, as we don't have a national religion that says we're all Christian, but we are made up of people that God wants to bless. And when he wants to, when he blesses us, when we put ourselves in a position that he can bless us, then that means great things for our country. And so kind of, you know, using the idea of logic, if he's going to bless us individually, it's going to impact our country. And, and, but it all starts with us. We have to put ourselves back in a, in a right relationship with him and be willing to do what he has called us to do. And, and I have no doubt that he wants to, he desires to bless us. It's kind of up to us and um, and how we respond to that. Yeah, I agree with that. Part two, chapter four of the book, you say when God's concept of the family is compromised, however, every aspect of the family is offended, affected, the foundation becomes shaky and unity is torn, support is missing, and godly training is abandoned. The attack on our families, uh, we see the family being greatly at attack, especially in educational system is a good place to look at <clears throat> and your background is somewhat in that area uh, tell us a little bit about that and how it's affecting our families if you want to destroy a, a building this beautiful building all you have to do is put cracks in the foundation and eventually the building will collapse our nation our god designed humanity to be built on this foundation of family 
and and we can we can argue it till tomorrow, but it's true. He said the very first thing he did was he created a family. He created Adam and a man and female um, to be united and to start a family, and that was where he built his society. It's in that structure that we learn relationships, that we um, model acceptance and love, where our faith is is passed on from generation to generation. It's in that structure of unit of the family that um, God set up for us to to thrive. All you have to do to undermine everything that we have going on is to start putting cracks in that block of our foundation by saying, you know, marriage isn't necessarily between a man and a woman, or you may not really need to have a marriage to have a family. You know, that all that it takes a village thing. Um, yeah, it's okay. Um, or, um, you know, mom and dad don't really know enough to make all the decisions about their child's education. So educators are going to do that instead of mom and dad. And, and so we start to see these cracks. And when we allow the cracks to happen and to get bigger and we don't make steps to fix it, then we really run the risk of our whole foundation collapsing and our whole building coming, falling down. I think people can intimidate parents. Can And as Christians, we can, like I said earlier, we want to come across as being accepting and understanding and maybe, you know, with it, with the times, you know, and we're told it's not, a, you know, that's old hat to to say marriage must be between a man and a woman or, you know, some of these things that that's old school. We don't really believe that anymore. And if we're not careful, we will begin to accept that into our, into our thought processes and, and begin to accept it. You know, when Jesus was working with, uh, when he was talking with the Samaritan woman and she was living um, instead, she had had all these husbands and was living with someone who wasn't her husband and, and Jesus didn't condemn her, but he did point out that she was not living according to his, you know, plan and he said now that you know truth go and sin no more and i think that's how we have to look at you know we can accept people that have had issues and and have you know maybe their family isn't perfect nobody's family's perfect goodness knows don't take a magnifying glass to my family um but we need to know what god's word says and, and live as best we can the past is the past we can't change that but starting right now we can say you know i'm going to live my family principles on what God's word says and and I'm going to share that with others and encourage them to live that way as well um, and it's you know we it's so important that we take that step to make sure our families are safe and secure and protected from outside influence um, and as an educator I see this every day parents are so um, intimidated by the education system maybe they didn't have a good experience in their own education maybe they didn't excel in school, and they're very intimidated by um, ed- educators and, and that whole process. We have our own language and, and you know, educationalese, and um, as a special education uh, provider, we even have a even special language in that field as well. So um, I, it's very important that parents become empowered to speak up and say, you know, I want to have a say-so in what my child is learning and what they're exposed to when they're at school. Speaking of language, you talk about in the book the difference 
between patriotism and nationalism and the contrast between biblical morality and secular secular morality. And that's a spun all the time uh, when you hear one side talking about it. So tell us a little bit about that there, the difference between those areas that seem to maybe confuse people or get them to believe something that's not true. We just had an, an example of the difference between patriotism and nationalism. Um, patriotism is is good. I am very patriotic. I have a flag flying on my house. I'm, I I still get chills when I hear the national anthem and and you know stand in the pledge of allegiance and and those things. Those are all very well and 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 good. We should be proud of our country. Proud of what we offer people. Proud of the um, of our history and how we as a nation are um, the light to the world and 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 welcome people from all countries and and provide a way of life that really is is excelled in no other country. That is all very good. Patriotism says our country has value and we are doing good things. Nationalism says our country is superior to other countries and other countries are therefore inferior and deserve to not be a nation. That was what happened on September 11th. We saw nationalism attack our country saying you are not worthy, we are superior and we're going to attack you. But as a result of that nationalism towards America, you saw the patriotism of Americans, you know, skyrocket. And so um, patriotism is good. Nationalism is not. Nationalism causes wars, causes hatred, and, and is not a godly um, attitude. Nationalism says only our country is worthy. And, and that's not true. We know God blesses other countries, too. America is not the only country God blesses. I talk about the idea of God bless America. Is that a mandate to God to bless America? Absolutely not. It's actually in a prayer. God, please bless America. And and so this, you know, God bless America, you know, it's not, that's not a right. It's not our privilege. It's, it's a privilege. It's, it's, it's a prayer to God to bless us. Now, as far as secular and, and um, religious uh, Christian values and morality, Christian morality and values gets its foundation from God. He is the creator of everything. Everything works according to his plan. And when we put his values, his um, ideas as center and forefront, then we can be blessed. Secularism, however, is based on man's ideas. And I don't know about you, but I don't know a single man that I would want to follow his ideas to make any decisions in my life. You know, I want to go to the source, to the wisdom, and to God. But secularism says we're going to not use any religion. We're going to look at man's ideas, or we're going to come up with our own ideas. Whatever feels right to me is going to be okay. And, you know, if it feels right, do it. Or, you know, everybody has their own truth. Well, no, that's not true. There's only one truth, and everybody else is just some kind of version of something else. Um, and so... When we start to look at secularism and pull away from God, we lose wisdom. We lose um, discernment. We lose um, that conviction that is is truth. And so um, I don't know about you, but I don't want to build my life and my um, belief system on what someone else thinks is right. I want to go to the source, the person who created us um, for for my wisdom. And so that's kind of the difference between the two I think it's very easy to fall prey into secularism because we hear everybody talking about their ideas 
and their beliefs, even in the political world, we hear, well, I think this and I think that. I want to hear the person who says, I do this because God says. That's the person I want to follow because I, they have their, their thoughts and their priorities grounded. Now, you focus, too, there in the book on inclusion and acceptance, but these are all at odds with God's plans. I mean, we've got people out there that bow knee to the flag, and, you know, the U.S. Open for the first time ever started the other day its tennis matches without the national anthem being prayed. I mean, we've got some real issues here of people not wanting to be patriots or not looking at it. They always look like this country's become a, a suppressor instead of the place of freedom that it's been. You know, I my um, my daughter, I have an eight-year-old grandson. I have four grandchildren, but when I'm talking about right now, he's eight years old. He went to a, a baseball game a couple weeks ago, and she took a picture of him standing at the beginning of the game where they were playing the national anthem, and he had had a little baseball cap on, and, he, and in the picture he has the baseball cap off, and, and he has it against um, his heart in, in allegiance. I was so proud of that picture, and I, as I said, did he do that on his own? And she said he looked around and saw the other people doing it and immediately did it. We have to be training our children to love and respect our country and to love and respect God. And they're going to model what they see. You know, we're only one generation from being a godless society. And and it is so important that we stay um, and that we teach our children and that we model it and we don't lose it ourselves. And, you know, I bet you could take that idea of the U.S. Open not having the national anthem played to probably a handful of people who said, we don't want it to happen. If you had said, you know, 100 people, how many of you want the national anthem played? 95 would have said yes. Five would have said no. And we caved into the five. And we're seeing that so often in our schools. The people that speak up are the people that get their way. And because Christians don't want to speak up because we don't want to be accused of being um, heartless or, or um, not kind or anything, like that, we don't speak up. And so those 5% get their way. Yeah. And I just feel like I don't think that what we're seeing is really indicative of our nation as a whole. I think it's that the 5% that are speaking up are getting, they're the, the, you know, the squeaky wheel that's getting the grease. And that's one of the reasons that I, I want Christians to be empowered to stand up and say, no, this is not right. I am going to let my voice be heard because I think there's more of us than society even knows. Yeah. And, and you know, the idea that you're waking the sleeping bear, um, people have asked me, what is the one thing that we think I think Christians are most um, upset about or are most willing to stand for? Anything that affects their family. If you start messing with our children, with our education, with our marriage, with our fun- with our family unit, you're going to see Christians starting to stand up and say, enough is enough. And it's going to take that happening in a lot of areas for us to really start making an impact. And unfortunately, things have to get worse before they get better. And I think Christians, sometimes we just are so complacent. We're so, we're, you know, just we're doing our own thing. We're living our lives. And there's another side of of our country who has an agenda, and we cannot let them get away with their agenda because it's not a godly agenda. 
Well, folks, you're listening to Cross Point. Stay with us. We'll be back with more right after this. Making a difference in someone's life may be easier than you think. You just feel God with you all the time when you're listening to the radio. I feel Him with me. Share God's power and your hope. I'm a much better person because of it. (laughs) 91.7 The Word. You're listening to Cross Point. I'm Mark Taylor, your host, my guest today. Uh, We're talking about standing for God in America, Lynn Wagelman. And I guess you are a Dr. Wagelman, I guess. uh, You wanted to refer to that. You've got a lot of... uh, work you've done in the educational system and also uh, in the military, uh, I noticed as well, you have some connections there. And in chapter two, or part two, chapter five of the book, you mentioned protection of the military and foreign policy. And there in that first paragraph, you said America's peace is threatened by those within our borders as well as those from other countries. How does uh, God expect us to handle these threats to our personal and national safety? So how does God expect us to handle those threats? When I was researching the book, and obviously when the, the Bible was written, society was quite different. But, you know, the Israelites, as they traveled, they encountered people who were um, going to be their enemies, who, who, who did not like what they stood for and, and were threats. And, and how did they approach their um, their protection as a country. They um, they formed a military. They formed um, people who were uh, on the watchtower. Um, the they you know they had the lookouts. They had the the, the walls. They would they would um, put a border around when they finally did build um, their cities. They would surround them with a wall for protection, not necessarily to keep people out, anybody out, but to keep those that were seeking to harm them out. And and. But those walls had gates, and, you know, I, I believe that we should have a wall, but it should have a gate. But that gate has, you know, process to come in so that we know who is entering it and what their um, purpose of coming here is for. Um, but we do need a strong military. We do need people who are um, who are diligently protecting us. I, um, I just wrote, um, it will go up on my website this week, um, about – the 9-11 and how important those first responders were, but also the people that continually protect our country from cyber threats, from uh, the, our homeland security, our Coast Guard, who are continually, you know, I live um, in Charleston, South Carolina, on the coast. Our Coast Guard, we have a port here that, you know, all kinds of people and things can come into our country right here in my own city. Um, our Border Patrol, people that are constantly on the lookout for our protection, we owe it to them to support them, to provide them the needs, the things that they need to do that job because it is so important. God said, put your person on the watchtower to, to protect your country. Now, he doesn't say accept everybody in without question. He doesn't say keep everybody out without question. It's a matter of showing wisdom and, and, and doing our due diligence to be monitoring who that is and why are they coming and and to maintain that level of of um, protection for our people. Well, when we work in a situation like we have right now with our government, we know what the Bible says about some of those areas there. And in practical terms, what does it mean to s- submit to government authority? How can we do that when we see that authority not going along with God's authority? How How do we balance that right? When in Jesus' day, people were not allowed to elect their their leaders. They they were led by kings and, and rulers, and that were put in place. 
and or were put in place by overthrowing the previous leader. Um, that's not how America works, which is a good thing. So Jesus didn't speak specifically to the idea of, of voting, um, the election process, because that wasn't that wasn't the political setup for his day. However, you know, he does say, um, you know, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give our leaders their their respect. Um, Tim, uh, Paul urges us to pray for our leaders and and to support them. Um, he tells the slaves to return to their master and obey their master, and that's kind of our you know kind of a symbol symbolic for our leaders today. We might we should live in obedience to to our laws and to what has um, our leaders that we have elected. We've put them there. We have to honor them and and, and respect them for for their position. We can disagree with what they say and what they do, um, but we have a process to take care of that over time. Um, it's called the election process every two and four years. So, um, so but we have to be involved in that process. It's not just we can't just complain about our leaders and not be willing to get involved in the process that elects our leaders. At the same time, once they are elected, we as Christians must obey them and show them the respect that is due their position. But we can still disagree with them. It's how we disagree that is the important thing. Realizing that people are watching us. Christians, by just the nature that we call the name of Christ as our leader, um, that we follow him, we put ourselves up on this pedestal in a glass case that people are looking to us to see, oh, how are they going to respond? And if we respond with gentleness and kindness and, and patience and respect and we speak the truth, then we gain their respect. If we if we start throwing stones, if we start being that idea of civil disobedience is fine, but if we start living contrary to God's word and being disrespectful and, and being filled with hatred and, and things like that, then we lose our um, our testimony to people. I like to say we can we're magnets. We can either re- attract people to God or we can repel them from God. And it's all based on how we respond a lot of times to our leaders and to what's going on in our country. So we must, I believe, act out of respect to the, for, and the, to the authority of that person while we can still disagree with them if we, you know, on certain things. Well, I know you got the book broke down into parts. Part two of chapter six, which is just before you go to the third part of the book, is entitled Social Issues. You talk in that, as you start off there, about race, immigration, health care, education, all those widely discussed topics people are talking about. And then you talk about right at the end of that chapter, before you go into part three, that the Bible also calls us to have a knowledge of history. Why does the Bible tell us to have a knowledge of history? If you read the, the, the Old Testament, God continually has his people reciting, reviewing their history to remind them that of their past, to remind them of how they turned away and how they turned back to God, to remind them of God's faithfulness in the tough times, to remind them where they came from and where they are now. It's important that we know our history, that we know where we came from, we know why we were founded, we know the process, that we've, and we learn from our mistakes, and we gain confidence in the fact that God was with us. In you know, He, he got us through nine eleven. He'll get us through the next um, major event. We also have to, you know, use use history to realize, you know, this whole idea of, of you know climate change and, and all. Earth has been here for a really long time, 
And I just don't believe, if you look back at our history, that God's going to allow the world to come to an end in 10 years when it's been doing just fine for you know thousands and thousands of years. So when you look back at your history, it gives you kind of a foundation that you can say, going forward, here's what we can expect. We can learn from our mistakes. We can gain strength from the past and how God has provided for us in the past. Chapter 4, Part 3, Standing Through Service, it's the title there. Say God wants us to impact others on a large scale. He calls us to make a difference in the lives of people by uniting with other believers to affect change far beyond our individual abilities. And then through that chapter, you tell people how to do that. So how do people do that? I, I tried not to give like a a, a step-by-step of you do this, then you do this, and then you do this, because God is going to use each of us in very, very different ways based on our sphere of influence, based on our talents and and gifts that he's given us, based on our past experiences. So giving a a step-by-step is not helpful to people. But what is helpful, I believe, is for people to realize what you do is you take God's word, you get grounded in it, because God can't use you if you're not ready. And so the re- getting ready step is getting grounded firmly in his word, spending time daily in his word, praying, building that relationship with him that will sustain you in everything that you do, and then begin to do whatever he puts in front of you. And you know, to be quite honest, that's how this book came to be. One step at a time, just doing the next thing that God shows. And, and then, okay, Lord, I don't know how to do this, Send somebody to help me. And he would send me, you know, somebody. I don't know how to do this. Can you send me somebody else for this? And and he will use us as we are, where we are. And then he will open those windows of opportunity. You know, Paul prayed, um, pray that God will open a door of, you know, opportunity to share the gospel. And so when we pray, Lord, use me, open doors of opportunity, be ready. Have your running shoes on because he's going to open those doors of opportunity for you. You don't have to go and say, hmm, what can I do for God today? Um, that's not how he works. He says, give me a ready and willing person and I'll take care of the rest. And so I, my message is I want people just to know if you want to make a difference, just pray and let God show you where that difference can come from. And it could be that you join with somebody else who's already working in an area. Um, and I would encourage you to look around at all of the ministry opportunities that are going on right now in your community, in your church, um, in your city or state, and say, what what has God put on my heart that I'm really passionate about? And Because that's where he's going to use you best. If you're trying to do something for God and you're not really passionate about it, you're in the wrong place. Uh, because he's going to give you a passion for what he wants you to be doing. Um, but pr- first it comes to being in a right relationship with him, saying, I'm ready and willing to go and do whatever you say. And it could be just simply doing something for a neighbor. It doesn't have to be that you're going to go to Washington and you know speak before Congress. That's, he doesn't call all of us to do that. But some of us he calls just to, to do things in our local communities. But wherever he leads us, we have to be ready and willing to step up and say, I'm, I'm your person, I'm your man um, or your woman, and do whatever he puts in your in your path. Page 162 of the book, the so last page, and you say, as we conclude our time together, I encourage you to ask God to reveal his plans for you. I know he has specific plans, 
that only you can do. So you do believe that. You do believe that we're all here for a purpose. There's some things that we're uh, called on by God to do, and uh, maybe somebody else, if they done them, they won't be done quite as right as they would be if we do them ourselves. And, you know, God does not need any of us to do it. He allows us the privilege of working with Him and for Him and with other believers um, for His purpose. And, and when you look at it as a privilege um, and not a, a duty, but a privilege, it totally changes your whole attitude about working for Him and standing. Now, okay, so Lynn, again, tell us, standing for God in America, and uh, how can people find out more about uh, your book? You can go to any of your major um, online booksellers, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or you can come to lynnwagaman.com or karispublishing.com. And, and the book is available for shipping now. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today here on Crosspoint. Thank you for having me. Hey, everything we talked about today as we visited about standing for God in America, well, it all started with America founding on the Bible. Our founding fathers, they used the Bible to make all of their different decisions. Uh, even when they got off track, they were called back to what does God's Word says and you need to know that as well, because God's Word is the very essence of life. It's the inspired words of God. It accurately will direct your life every day. The Bible contains the most important words you're ever going to read and certainly ever follow. Be sure and join us again next time as we again discuss issues that are affecting the church. Have a great week. Allow God to use you for His purposes so that greater things can be done. Make your life count in God's plans for eternity. I'm Mark Taylor. Crosspoint is a program produced in Studio 101 at KNAO Radio. Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNAO. You may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, Neosho, Missouri, 64850, or by email crosspoint at kneo.org. You can hear Crosspoint four times a week, Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime online at kneo.org. Do you have five minutes for God? I'm Pastor Ed Wilson, and I believe there's no better way to begin each morning than spending a little time with Him. That's why every weekday morning I bring you a short devotional broadcast designed just for that. Look up God's Five Minutes wherever you get your podcast to kickstart your spiritual walk for each day. We'll always do it in five minutes or less. Have you talked to God today? Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083.